Hey, this is Kate and Catherine, and thank you for listening to Free Cookies. We just wanted to take a second at the top of the show to tell you that we are not going to have ads on this podcast. Instead, we have decided to subscribe and log in to Patreon. And you can find that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and then search for Free Cookies. And so if you get some value from this show, we would love if you'd figure out whatever support you can offer. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash free cookies. And back to the show. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And on today's show, we are joined by Jane McManus, a good friend of both of ours. She'll be, she'll be coming to our wedding. A soon-to-be professional roly derberer. She does roller derby, and she is also a former colleague of mine at ESPN, and I wanted to have her on. We wanted to have her on because she, she and I got into this really interesting conversation about stereotypes and how we embrace them while also trying to defy them. So we kind of try and tease that apart with Miss Jane McManus. Mrs. And Jane McManus. No, also, wait. She's married, but she doesn't have her husband's last name. So she's do we not say into stereotypes or labels. But also, we're going to talk about the fact that she got an entire paid year off, left New York, moved to London with her family, and has been living the good life, traveling, La doing Dolce the things Vita. that humans should be doing. And <laughs> I had all the questions for if I need to do that myself. Okay, but first. But first. But you know what? Before we get into the first, even before that, the butt first. I have a couple things that I need to tackle off the top. Okay. And number one, I wrote this down. I wrote a list in my iPhone notes, as you know that I do all the time. I wanted to point out a couple things that I did this week that are reasons why I should be on Team Jurassic Park. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. My driving in New York City is on a level where I would be the perfect getaway car driver if we were being chased by dinosaurs if there was traffic on jurassic park no 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 no. it doesn't have to do with traffic or lights it has to do with you're a committed driver and and what i mean is that when you make a move you fully commit to it there's no half-assing if you're going to go into a lane even if there's a slight chance that you made what's it clip someone you will do it and i appreciate that well my dad once told me growing up when he was and my mom, he and my mom were teaching me how to drive. He said, whatever you do when you're driving, you just have to commit to it. That's it's good advice. It's kind of like the opposite of love not being hate. It's apathy. Mm-hmm. In driving, you can either be slow or you can be fast. You can either be really timid or you can be aggressive. But being in the middle and being apathetic about your decision is really the worst that place it can be. I'm going to give you this point for a team Jurassic Park. So what is that? So, all right, let me see what else I have written down. Oh, fuck. I don't have another reason written down, but I thought I did. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I, Let me I look through like the rest the of my notes. know that Kate actually, she does know how to drive manual. So I feel like that would be maybe in Are you just trying all to... packaged together, but still, if there was fuck. a manual Jeep. I had another reason, At guys. Jurassic Park. Okay, well, look, I don't have the other reason, so I guess that that is a detour that... Doesn't help me. Except if I went on this detour, I would drive it very fast and very efficiently. Uh, yes. Okay. The second thing I want to talk to you, and you're going to be kind of blindsided by this, and you're not going to know where to go with it, kind of like that first thing, is that we never talked about the song Lightning Crashes on the podcast. Oh, God. Remember we wanted to? 
Yes. And I don't, we, okay. Setting the scene, Kate, Kate's mother. Okay. But, but listeners are going to remember the song lightning crashes, right? Well, depending on how old they are. And, um, true. Good point. Because we did get a listener email Lightning today. crashes by live, right? Live. Yeah. Yeah. By live. Live. I called them live when I was growing up. Oh dear. So do you want to tell them? Anyway, most people who have listened to Lightning Crashes and knows like they know Lightning Crashes, the first thing they'll know is that the word placenta is in that song. I absolutely disagree with that because I do remember the song and placenta was not the first word that came to mind when I thought about that song. Okay. Moody, yes. Okay, 90s grunge. Well, exactly, yes. exactly why placenta, we Placenta. Sh- no. It wasn't it's not live isn't really grunge. But anyway, the, the whole point is that do you, I don't think of live as grunge. Really? They seemed very kind of like Seattle No, they're grungy. not like Nirvana grungy. They were more... No. Okay, but the point. Placenta, get to the, the point. The, anyway, the whole point is that for most 90s kids who grew up in the 90s, I think that when you think of lightning crashes, you th- one, you think of the video. Sure. And two, you think of the fact that that fucking song had the word placenta in it. Really? Because I feel like he has one of those voices that's like... Like, what are you really saying? I don't know. Well, you knew that he said placenta. Do you well, want I me didn't to know he lyrics? said placenta. I didn't believe you, nor did your mother, which is why we looked up the lyrics. And we, after looking through it, and we got to the section about the baby mama and all the stuff that happens, we didn't see placenta. <laughs> and it turns out, you guys, that placenta is in the first freaking line of the entire song. Yes. Who does that? So we're Who in, starts a song with placenta? We're in, we're in Russia, and I'm like, look, lightning crashes. Everybody knows that song because they say placenta in it, and that's kind of where I learned the word placenta. In the same way that Lauren Hill taught me reciprocity. When she sang about reciprocity, I was like, what the fuck does reciprocity mean? I'm just going to go ahead and give mad more kudos to Lauren Hill than live, but continue. And so I said to you guys, lightning crashes, placenta. And they're like, what? You were both like, the word placenta is not in lightning crashes. And I was like, look up the lyrics, y'all. Look it up. Put some respect on my name and look up those lyrics. And you then looked them up. You guys read through apparently and you're like, no placenta. And then what do I do? I pull it up and it says, Lightning crashes, a new mother cries, her placenta falls to the floor. <laughs> Boom. You guys, second song of lightning crashes, they use the word placenta. I just wish I could have been at the table when Live rolled in with their lyrics and sat with the, the record Sony company producer, and the producer, and they're like, this is the shit. And I'm sure the producer said, you can't get away with placenta in a song. You can't. And they were like, watch us. Kudos okay, so do you, do you like my two little detours that I took us down? Yeah, I didn't you see that like, coming in the same way that I didn't see the, the P word. The plea, the, the plea, the plea the, word. The P word dropped to the ground. In- <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we get to the, to, but first? But first. But first. Okay, do you want to set this up? Should I? How did this all happen? Oh, so uh, we were, Kate and I were having a discussion about what are the things in the world? No, you were, you were talking to me about salt and straw. Ah, yes. Okay. So I was listening to the Bon Appetit foodcast and which is the second best podcast in the world. This is the second, the the third behind F and B radio. It's really hard if you can't be near food though. It's actually kind of maddening. And they were talking to, um, one of the founders of salt and straw, which a lot of us probably don't know what that is because you can't get it in many places. It's this amazing ice cream company that is renowned for putting these really kind of bizarre, savory, salty, sweet combinations together. It's basically if Ben and Jerry moved to Northern California and Portland. partnered with Thomas Keller 
and we're playing live at the restaurant. The angel closes the combination of this ice cream. But the point is, they've got these really cool flavors, and... He also mentioned, you know, she asked, okay, well, do you, what do, basic flavors do you offer? And he said, well, there's some that you, we do offer basic, but there's some that you don't even touch because there's no way you can get better than the $3 pint of cookies and cream ice cream, for example. There's just no beating the cheapest version of cookies and cream because that is the best version of cookies and creams. And there's no reason to, to bouge it up because you're just insulting yourself and the world and every eater of cookies and cream ice cream. So that started the conversation. Yeah, because then I immediately thought, growing up in upstate New York, we had these convenience stores called Stewart's, which also operated... The root beer. A dairy. No, 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 not the Stewart's root beer, although I can understand mm. the confusion there. Separate chain called Stewart's, and they made their own ice cream, and they made cookies and cream ice cream, and they were made with Oreos, and I was thinking, well, if they put in some other kind of cookie to try for their cookies and cream, all I would want is a very cold Oreo because very cold Oreos in vanilla ice cream is the best that it can get. Sure. Okay. And also, if I can add what this made me think of, and our, our topic here is like, so then Catherine and I started thinking, what are other things that even if you make them fancy or you try and make them all bougie, you actually don't get a better product in the end? Yes. And that's what we... we we listed a few things that we'll get to, but first, oh. it also made me think of that scene in This Is Us, when Kate wants to go back and buy the ice cream cone that she and her dad always shared together at their summer camp, and she goes to Main Street, and she walks into the ice cream place, and she wants, let's, I don't remember the flavor. It's like bubble bum, bu- bubble bum. Bubble bum. Bubble bum. <laughs> bubble it's, bum. A, it's a placenta cherry that bubble, she wanted. Bubble bum, bubble bum, bubble bum. Actually, it's a terrible visual. Let's just say it was butterscotch. <laughs> sure. Butterscotch cream. And they're like, no, you know, the only thing we have is like this jalapeno halibut. Now, I mean, I'm just honestly, I'm making it up. But like it had turned into the, this bougie ice cream store. Hipstery. And all she wanted was the memory. She just wanted to, to taste a memory and she couldn't have it anymore. And so certainly part of the list of like what things aren't better bougie or aren't better fancy, you have to admit that some of that has to do with like just the base level memory that might be attached to the simple version of it. Absolutely. So we're going to share our list. And as always, we would love to hear from you and know what should be added to the list what we missed, what you disagree with. You can always hit us up at freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. Also, you should you have to follow us on Instagram at freecookiespodcast. Yes, you can hit us up there. Those are the places that you can find if us. If you were following us on freecookiespodcast on Instagram, you would be now seeing, I guess you can see it anyway, even if you don't follow us because you can parachute into the page because it's not private, but a picture of Catherine probably in middle school, and we know what that means. No, I was younger than middle school. Oh. This was fifth grade. Okay, well, either way, borderline, borderline, borderline junior high, middle school-ish, in that age range where all of us want to burn all of our pictures. I have not supplied a picture of myself from that age because it would be me wearing rainbow-colored umbro shorts in Disney World with really short hair, and I, I got a lot of rashes then, so I would chafe a lot because I was a little chubby. And you've seen this picture. Now you're looking at me like I shouldn't be sharing this. Should I not be sharing this? No, I just, every time I think of little chubby chafing Kate, it just makes me <laughs> kind of sad. furrow my brow. Oh, why though? I don't know. Are you sad for me? 
I, it, you, it brings up, so, I don't know, I just think chubby and chafing are two very sad memories of, for a child. Should I post this picture of me? Obviously. Chubby, chubby chafing Kate at Disney oh, World? Oh, I have it on my phone. Don't think it's not going to show up when you, th- this photo of me that is up on Free Cookies Podcast was not approved, by the way, but I look hella fly. I've got braces, I have a bob, I'm pretty sure my ears are pierced. I am wearing a swimsuit that looks like it came out of Beetlejuice. Yep. And I am on the beach with a koosh ball paddle. <clears throat> okay, back to our list. Uh, because I'm a fantastic driver and I am steering us quickly back to our conversation. Ooh, see what you did there. Boom. All right, the, the number one on my list, and this is clear number one. Far and away, nobody will be able to top this thing that is worse the more you bouge it up is green bean casserole. Absolutely. If you try to like cut up your little onion and like deep fry your little onion and like make some sort of like coconut creamed mushroom bullshit. Oh my God, because I've actually tried to do this. I feel like I'm just getting... Oh, did I just read your recipe back to you? No, (laughs) not really. you. (laughs) All you want with green bean casserole are the products that are on the back of cream of mushroom Campbell's soup and you put those things together and, and it has to be frozen green beans. I'm, like, that is the oh. only way to eat that. I don't know if I agree with that part. I remember them being fresh green beans growing up. Well, you boosted it up then. No, 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 no. No, I take that back. Actually, what I do remember where they were canned green beans, but you would get the, what's the, the, the French cut? <laughs> it was, whoa, whoa, whoa. yes, it was a French cut green bean and that was only if you were gonna go like oh i got a date so i'm gonna get out the french cut canned green beans would you cook green bean casserole for your dates i'm saying if you wanted to impress a date and you're making green bean casserole they better be french cut i don't think you would impress many dates by making green bean casserole well i don't think that you would get pants off if you didn't make it with the french cut pants off okay do you want to do you do you have a number two on the list anyway that is clear and far away the number one those were you want me to jump in on some more no i think this may not be in numerical order for me as far as importance goes but something that popped into my head are sunglasses and i say sunglasses partially because they're so easy to drop they're so easy to lose they're so easy to break and i also grew up with a mother that loved bargain shopping so i have all these really fond memories of going to tj maxx and going to marshalls and going to target it's not target it's target and i just really love cheap sunglasses because they're quirky and they're fun and I, I don't feel bad about myself as a person when you inevitably scratch them up which always happens and as much as i think beautiful bougie fancy sunglasses are beautiful because they are beautiful they just there's a, a layer of delicacy to them that makes me feel like they probably don't belong on my face. All right, so I solicited advice. No, I solicited answers to this question from a number of people. And <laughs> you mean your mom and dad? And Josh, <laughs> my friend Josh Bard. Shout out Josh. Jo- Josh listens. He's also a producer on Around the Horn, the ESPN show. And he came up with some good ones. Headphones. Mm. They don't get better the fancier you get. Well, it depends. Do you want headphones because for everyday you want people? The sound? For everyday people, you don't think everyday people want to tune out the world from time to time? And do get- you? Do you hate Josh? Is that what this is about? All right, carry on. Okay, my dad he offered this burger. He thinks. Oh, actually, Josh and, and my dad both think burger. Okay, uh, to many degrees, yes. I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, so I grew up on a, a lot of red meat, 
And to this day, the concept of a, you know, Wendy's like fast food, smushy and holding your hand burger is what sounds the most appealing to me. But I would be remiss to not point out that I would never go to a fast food place. Actually, I haven't had red meat in a long time, but the, you still got to like look for good meat. But that's an entire different conversation because I'm going to get into animal welfare and what we're putting into our bodies and hormones and all of that. So. Okay, so then you don't want to go down that road? Let well, me steer you, us no, say what away. You say. I just say, I have to say that. Yeah, okay, so if we, as I say, let's say good quality meat at that point, really all you need is like cheese in a smushy bun. I don't know that like a fancy bougie burger where you have like a cracked egg on it and stuff is necessarily going to be better than an insanely oh, you don't like an egg on a burger. All right. So you don't agree with burger. There you go. That's what the bottom line is. You don't agree with burger. I agree with elements of burger. I agree that people like Sean Brock or there's a place called Little Jack's in Charleston and they basically make a, a really fancy high ingredient fast food style burger. And I think that is like if, if, if the, 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 the burger from my childhood and the burger of the bouge had a baby and produced this burger. Okay. Well, then now I feel like I'm quizzing you because here's one that I do agree with most of the time, a workout. I think a simple workout that you could do at home, let's say you go for, uh, like for me, well, right? What's, go a, f- what's a bougie workout though? Can you define oh, a bougie? cycle? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that we just gave a lot of love to SoulCycle, though. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing we're not looking for a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> All right, should we bring on Jane? Yes, we should bring on the Jane. All right. Jane McManus worked for ESPN until 2017, and she covered sports since 1998 and began covering football just before Brett Favre's stint with the Jets. Her work has appeared in Newsday, USA Today, The Journal News, and The New York Times. I also co-hosted with Jane a national radio show called The Trifecta, which also included Sarah Spain. Jane now lives in London with her two daughters and her husband, and she's still covering sports, and she's still one of the smartest, funniest people I know. And fun fact, the first time that Kate and I were dancing at a party together, she was hanging out with Jane, and I was worried that Jane was trying to manipulate? No, not manipulate. Hoard you. She was hoarding you. I got jealous. On the dance floor? Yeah, I got jealous. Do you think it's because my moves are so sick? I think that's because your moves are... You have really good lateral dance moves. Ooh. That's not going to make sense yet, but it will Until you listen. We are now joined by Jane McManus, my good friend and former colleague at ESPN. And Jane, you were just telling us that you were listening to last week's sex episode with Esther Perel. So I have to ask you off the bat, like, what would be your contribution to this topic of how we define ourselves by sex and our relationship with sex? And what Kate really wants to know is how much sex <laughs> are you having? She likes numbers. She wants to know I want exactly numbers. how Don't- frequently. Don't make it seem like, oh, a good amount. Because you know what, Jane? I don't know what that means. <laughs> a good amount. Various people. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been married for 18 years. So the fact that I'm still having sex, I think, is a victory. Um, what I loved <laughs> about this was that you guys, even, even the discussion of how much you were willing to talk about your own sex life and putting a number on that became a negotiation. And I think that's really so important, right? Like, that's so much a part of what sex is. It's this constant negotiation that goes on between two people. Right. I loved how I needed to like have a label and a number 
and Catherine was rebelling against that. And you're right, that sort of turned into a kind of compromising situation. Not compromising in like- Not like you're not wearing clothes or anything. <laughs> Although that is also a compromising situation. Are you wearing sneakers and a t-shirt right now, Catherine? <laughs> oh, Jane, I never thought you'd ask. <laughs> you know how I like that look. <laughs> okay, so Jane though, before we get into the, the topic that like has, has been on my mind, a conversation that you and I had, wow, probably almost more than a year ago now, we just started this conversation. Can you tell me, then tell our listeners, like you're in London now, kind of how you ended up in London and how that's been? Sure. Um, I am in London. I live right outside. I, I, lived, I don't live that far away from Wimbledon, actually, and I just covered Wimbledon for Newsday. So it was really interesting to kind of see it from this side and after having covered the U.S. Open forever. But yeah, I was part of the layoff in 2017 um, at ESPN, and ESPN laid off about 100 of us. And it agreed to pay our contracts. And I had about a year left on my deal. And so I went to my husband, um, the one I'm still having sex with, and I said... <laughs> How frequently, though, you didn't say that. I'd have to have the negotiation Look, with him. Look, you protect that sex. Protect <laughs> that sex. I'd have to have the negotiation with him before I talked about it, I think. <laughs> that is, that is a, something we would have to do together. Um, but I went to him and I said, you know, look, I, I, you know, this is a real opportunity for us. Let's do something big. You know, we have two daughters, 13 and 15, and they are fantastic. And we've enjoyed traveling. And I think both my husband and I wanted to live abroad. And so we kind of started looking around and saying, what are the opportunities? And we ended up in London and we really enjoy it. Yeah, I kind of, when you were going, when you were set to move over there, I was like, this could really go one of two ways is that. There's a culture shock, even though we all think of London as not that different than New York. There could be this culture shock, and you and the and the difference in schooling for your for the girls, and you could just be desperate mm -hmm. to come home, or you'd fall in love with it. Which one are you? Right. Well, it's for? a binary, right? It has to be one, all one or the other. It has to be. That's what we've learned <laughs> exactly. through sports. Um, well, I, I think it's, it's definitely more the latter. The girls are thriving in school, which is great. And they both really love it. My older one likes it a lot more, I think, um, and has really taken to it. It's just been, you know, she's 15 she, and it's just been great to see just a different side of them kind of come out. It's a different type of school and they've had really good public schools in, in the U S as well. So, um, you know, it's not a matter of public versus private, but I think just the difference gives them a real like this gives them two different strata of existence. And I think that's been really enriching for them. Um, it's a great school here and, and that's been really fun. And we, you know, the traveling around here has been so easy. You, I, I know you guys will cry when I tell you, but you can get like flights to Milan or to Paris for like $30. And I mean, it's, it's fabulous. So I've spent a lot of time. 30 pounds, 30 American dollars. Just at least make it pounds, please. <laughs> okay, well, I was trying to I think there's a massive difference there. Because they're probably, they're probably still all hopped up on the sex conversation. And I don't want to make them convert, <laughs> you know, dollars to pounds. Um, but yeah. Okay. Sorry, KB, go ahead. Well, I just, you've been basically living my dream for the past year, I, I, this concept. Of... At least this, what we think is our <laughs> dream, right? Like, well, I mean, this whole concept of like, hey, I'm going to pay you what you normally get paid to work, but you don't have to work at all. And you get to go live in London and you get to travel and see all these amazing places that are 30 pounds or less for train or yeah. airfare. And I, I guess my, my curiosity in this situation is after this kind of experience for the past year, are you just wanting to kind of be this nomad now? Or are you actually, do you have a hankering to get back to more structuralized 
work? Great, great question. Because I thought, I thought that I would have a really hard time just putting on the brakes for a year, having always been, you know, working on deadlines, like loving that adrenaline that comes with being a sports writer, pursuing things, um, always kind of being like, what's my next thing? What's my next thing? I thought it would be challenging to really stop and just exist. And it was not, <laughs> it was not, it was, I, it's, you know, and I mean, the way you describe it, Catherine is exactly what it was. It was such a gift. <laughs> and I mean, I, sometimes I had to pinch myself and that I was able to do this, um, in the middle, what I think is the middle of my career. Uh, but ultimately I think it's, it has made me realize that I'm still, I'm still, I've still got that motivation. I'm, I've still, you know, I still want to tell stories. I was still like, I was still hooked by things that I would see and that I would hear. I mean, I've had a different way of kind of thinking and processing things rather than just thinking about sports and, you know, the news that's coming out in sports and putting my attention into thinking about that and trying to examine those issues from different angles. You know, I was, I was doing different things, right. With the travel, we did a lot of, you know, kind of archeology span tours and kind of learning about, you know, different things here and trying to see how the world fit together a little bit more. So, I mean, I, it wasn't an idleness, but I definitely still am driven sports-wise. And when I was covering Wimbledon for Newsday, that became really clear to me. Like the the grind did not get to me. 14 days straight. I think it was like actually 17 when you factor in the pre-tournament stuff. It felt great to be back in it. You know, the deadline felt fine. Everything about it, pursuing news stories, trying to break news, you know, grabbing Billie Jean King when she's going from one place to another to get a quote, like stuff like that. No big deal. <laughs> but that was like, you know, that's, I was still, I was back in it. I just, it felt, it felt great. Um, so, you know, so yeah, it's a little bit of this and that, and I'm waiting for the right opportunity to come around and to find something that I'm, that energizes me in that same way. But, um, and I, I feel a certain amount of patience with it. I think because I've come out of this period of stillness, um, that I don't, I'm not just like, what's next? What's next? I've got to grab the the thing that's thrown to me first. I'm really going to take some time and, and figure out what it is that I want to do next. So, okay. So for additional context for our listeners, they probably know, well, maybe they don't. Jane and I worked on the trifecta radio show for two seasons. And even more than that, Jane is someone, Jane, you're someone that I would always kind of bounce ideas off of or when I felt like whatever perspective I had about a topic or a story, I could sense that I was missing a perspective, but I couldn't actually define what that missing perspective was. You were someone that I always and, and still do to some degree, like reach out to and like, wait, here's what I'm thinking about what's going on. Like, what are you missing? And so I remember that this was probably about a year and a half ago in the middle of a lot of the Colin Kaepernick kneeling and a little uh, in the middle of a lot of sports stories that were diving into and dovetailing with politics. And I think at some point I came to you and I was like, look, I'm kind of sick of talking about gay issues because I'm gay. I'm kind of sick of chiming in on women's issues because I'm a woman. Like I wanted to kind of like shake up what kind of perspective I would right. offer. And I remember you you kind of saying this, maybe off the cuff, but maybe something you'd been ruminating on this idea of like, well, part of that is probably like you like rebelling against whatever, you know, definitions you think people have of you. Yeah. And that kind of launched us into this conversation about 
stereotype. So can you share kind of a little bit about that philosophy you were chewing on yeah. back then? Well, it's interesting because I was, I think I was in the middle of writing a story and it was a story I've been thinking about for a long time. And it was, it was called um, the NFL's racial divide. Ultimately it was written for the undefeated with Jason Reed and he and I worked on it together. And so I, I'd kind of been uh, thinking about it. And the, the basic premise of the story was that, you know, when you look at an NFL team, it's a very integrated place, an NFL locker room, you have black players, you have white players, millions, you know, living in harmony. But if you look at actual NFL positions, they often break down or uh, there's an, a racial affinity that goes along with that position. Quarterback predominant, and we got the numbers. Quarterbacks are predominantly white. Centers are predominantly white. Cornerbacks are all ex almost exclusively black. Wide receivers, downfield wide receivers are almost exclusively black. Um, you know, safeties are a bit of a mix. Uh, but anyway, you can go, you can go down and look at this kickers are almost exclusively white. So we were like, well, why is that? Right? Because all of these players are playing on the field. And especially when you look at like defensive line and offensive line, you know, sometimes the skill set is very similar for those positions. And, um, you know, but yet an offensive line is often white, whereas a defensive line is often black. So I was kind of trying to think of these things and, and there was a, we were finding out that Jason Seahorn, who was the last cornerback. Uh, white cornerback, I think, who to um, make the Pro Bowl in the NFL. Um, finding out that he told us his story of having, you know, having to, f they when the Giants drafted him, they wanted to make him a safety, which is, again, a more mixed position. And he had to fight to be able to play uh, cornerback in the NFL. And he ended up going to his uh, defensive backs coach, Dennis Thurman, who is a black defensive backs coach. So this bl black defensive backs coach was telling him to fight to play cornerback as a white player in the NFL. So it kind of was stirring up all of these different things about like categories and expectations and what people, you know, what people associate with you and say you're capable of based on these criteria that they're observing from afar, right? Like, Jason Seahorn was a fantastic cornerback in the NFL. And yet, because people had expectations of him because of the package he was in, they were already projecting, you know, what his ceiling was. And it kind of, you know, and I, so I think, I think that a lot of, a lot of life is kind of, we don't see it in the same way, but I, it just started getting me to think about like, you know, kind of what are the labels that get put on me or what are the labels that get put on you, Kate, when you're thinking about, okay, am I going to be a woman who's a sports writer who writes about women's sports? Because that is the expectation for me, because, you know, if I don't do it, nobody else will. Like there are all of these things that we wrestle with and these, these kind of expectations that we come upon because of whatever the label is that somebody's reading on us that we may not even know is there. Okay, so if you had to make that as personal as you could make it, what would you say are some of the stereotypical labels that people would have of you and how you've responded? Okay, well, I'll, I'll I'll go back to my childhood where I was I was raised I was <laughs> raised in in Southern Virginia, and I can remember people telling me to be a nice, quiet girl. Like, you know, I can remember that children are seen and not heard. I can remember these things like the expectation was that I was not to be so loud <laughs> or as, as noisy <laughs> or move around as much or, you know, things like that. And, um, and I can just remember chafing even then at these ideas of these expectations. And I think, so my response throughout my life has been whether it's, you know, if somebody thinks of me as like the smart kid, 
then then I want to play sports, right? Like, so, you know, I just want to, I just, I want to, I want to take whatever label it is I see is about to land on my back and defy it. And that's kind of, I think that's led to some choices that I've made, maybe even becoming a sports writer, you know, like I didn't think you could become a sports writer when I was growing up. I didn't see a lot of women doing that. And then when somebody said to me, you know what, you should become a sports writer. It, I think it appealed to me on a number of different levels. First of all, sports um but also because i think it was kind of like well that would be shocking <laughs> you know like there's this kind of this rebelliousness that it kind of triggered well how many of these stereotypes do you think exist um how do i say this so a stereotype that you've had ever since you've existed just the stereotype to who you are just as you existing versus a stereotype of what you've done in your career or relationships that you've had or choices that you've made. Does that make sense? Yeah, no. And I think it, I think it doesn't necessarily apply to those, to the choices I'm making or to, you know, things that I've done and to the, you know, to the way I've kind of actualized myself in the world, but definitely to the, the idea of how one is perceived, like the way that I think right. I might be perceived, like, right. Like, so, so I have two kids, um, you know, I'm 35. I am not playing basketball anymore. And then I come across roller derby and I'm, and I think, and I was like, this is the sport for me. And I think part of the reason was that it defied all of those expectations, right? Like I'm, you know, I'm now a, a sports writing mom and, and I just didn't want to be the sport. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I want to play roller derby instead. <laughs> so, you know, I think like, I think that is kind of, it's a bit, it's been a bit of an anti-motivation in my life. And I didn't, I don't even know that I necessarily realized it until I started working on that story and thinking through all of those ideas of expectations and, um, and kind of, and then trying to do the, do the math in my own life and apply it to my own situation. And then kind of see like, ah, you know, this has a practical application. Um, but yeah, but it all kind of stemmed from that idea of, of these, these affinities among NFL football players and how they get typecast. Okay. So the, the, what that calls to mind for me is when I was playing basketball. Sorry for all our yoga listeners. And they're like, there's way too much sportsing <laughs> happening here. But don't worry. We'll talk about tattoos and handstands soon. I have yeah. tattoos. So I when I was. <laughs> <laughs> and you play roller derby. You wanted to defy someone's expectation of you. And so you got it. That's exactly right. At 19, <laughs> I wanted to defy my mother's <laughs> expectation of me. And I got a tattoo. And she cried. She cried. Is it a cartoon character? Is it a rose wrapped around the world? <laughs> Well, you've got to think of my era. So this would have been in the, the I want to say the late 80s or the early 90s. So like I was on the Vanguard. Is it Jonathan Taylor Thomas? No, it is. Because <laughs> face. It is, a, it is a little outline of a sun because I wasn't brave enough to really go full on into like a skull and cross. Uh, oh, God. Outline of a sun. Back to my story. <laughs> so when I was playing hoops, I was a great, good outside shooter. And I can say that I was good because I was really not great at some other things like quickness and first step and driving to the hoop. Did you say you were laterally bad? Yeah, I had poor lateral speed. Uh, okay. I could, I, I, I could, of all things to be bad at. Oh, laterally, yeah. That's really well, in basketball, that's a problem. Yeah. In regular life, you don't have to employ your lateral quickness quite as frequently. Sideswipe a dinosaur. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the way I would respond to over the – the course of my playing career, people saying, oh, Kate's an outside shooter, Kate's an outside shooter, she can't really drive to the rim, would be to 
in my week, what I believe were my weaker moments, passing up open outside shots to drive to the rim. Yes. And so this brings up a couple questions for me because on one hand, I can see that my reaction to pass up an open shot and go away from my strengths to prove to people that I am not the definition they have of me and that in some ways that could lead to me opening up a new skill set and diversifying my game, right? Yes. Or in, you know, in the case of someone else, like diversifying their skill set in life. But I also can see how that would be a weakness because there's this sense of pride and me going away from what my strengths are to kind of pridefully prove something to someone. So I can't decide what I, which I think that is, whether I should lean into the definition of me and be the best at that thing or to try to rebel against it. I like that you rebelled against it, frankly, because even though I got swatted at the rim every single every time. Every single time? Are you sure you got swatted? No, not every, every single, single time. time. No, no, no. Sometimes I definitely finished with my left that, hand. Wow, that's really diversifying. Um, but yes. that, but I, but I think that that actually makes your game stronger. I really do. As somebody who, let's see, you're speaking my language, and sorry, I am terribly inflexible, so I, I can't think of a good yoga analogy. I was trying, but I, I, I used to practice this <laughs> shot um, because I played a lot of pickup in New York when I first moved to the city, and I used to practice this shot, which was about like being about like you know mid-range within the arc um because I was a really good outside shooter too probably not as good as you believe me I did not have the skills but I would but I would try to do like a little mid-range jumper that I would that I would bank in at a kind of a high angle and it was really hard to block and you know and so I so I totally get where you're coming from with that which is like people are going to expect you to take the outside shot but if you can get mid-range and do a little you know bank in a jumper that is amazing right because nobody's expecting that but you right. know, you find, but I, th so I think that that's actually, that's actually helpful because that it's, it's the element of surprise, right? Because if people think they have you, if they, people think they understand you and they figured out who you are, whether it's as a player or as a person, you're not going to surprise them. They're going to become bored with you. And I think, you know, in a lot of industries, and I think even just to keep getting from getting bored with yourself, you want to be able to reinvent yourself. You want to be able to surprise people. You want to have I mean, I've, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense and it probably ends up, you know, it's probably helped you in your career if you take that approach and apply it to something else. So you know how if a, a crime has been committed that they'll have sketch artists and you try to describe the culprit to the person and they create the sketch? I, this is going to make sense, <laughs> I swear. This is kind of the way that my brain is working right now because I was trying to think of an analogy to describe this stereotype and are we fighting against who we truly are? What are we truly? This is all going through my head during this conversation. Right. So I've, I've settled upon the analogy that we're all pinatas and that if we have enough people take massive hits at us, we are going to explode with the goodness that's actually coming out of us from the inside instead of the aesthetic on the out. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, so tell me more about this. I, I think, well, because I, I've just been questioning this conversation. And the question for me is, do we fight these stereotypes because it's who we are and we don't like it? Or is it the complete opposite that it's just a stereotype and that's the complete antithesis of who right. we are? That's what I'm trying to get at. And I'm not suggesting, Jane, that you have the purest answer to that. But that's like the... Like, or does anyone truly have the Right, because like, I think, too, one, one thing when it comes to like not embodying stereotypes and rebelling against the perception you think people have of you. I mean, certainly being gay, that's something I think about constantly 
is if I wear something or if I look like something, what is the perception that other people have of me? And I'm living up to this stereotype. Oh, she's gay. Of course she's wearing that. Right. Of course she looks like that. But if I don't present myself in that way simply because I don't want people to perceive me in a certain way, then I'm kind of going against who I am in order to not live up to a stereotype. Yeah, but see, I think, I don't think any of us are the sum total of any of these perceptions that people are placing on us. I think it's really limiting. So I think you should wear whatever you want. And if it happens to go along with somebody's idea of what you are, that's great. And if not, then, well, it's fine. You didn't want to, you know, do that anyway. But I, you know, and in these situations, yes, these these things kind of hamper us in public life, but I think they're, they're so much more damaging than that. And, and I think that the, you know, that NFL story of the people being limited by positions, it kind of speaks to that. People, people are denied opportunities because of these perceptions. Like it's, there, there's a, it's more than just, it's more than just not going along with something to be rebellious. It's actually that if you're perceived in a certain way, like because of your race or because of your sexual orientation, you are you're you're most likely without even knowing about it going to lose out on something if someone in power has a has a negative association with whatever your ism or your quirk is right like even if it's not a racial affinity if it's just you know because of because you like wearing pants and you're a woman and someone doesn't you know get some sort of feeling about that i mean like there literally are things that you can be denied as a result of that um and i think that we see it you know we see it in the worst cases play out when it comes to violence against people of color and you know and and how dangerous sometimes these these things can be and i kind of feel i don't i feel like it's very hard that's a very difficult issue to kind of get around and to grapple with and it it is associated kind of with these thoughts, but you really can't do anything about it. And so I don't know if I just feel like I, I want to rebel against my own life because I feel like they're so damaging in some ways, just in a larger cultural sense. What would you say um, before we let you get back to your like sexy British life? <laughs> <laughs> which I think of as just more cultured than our own. But before we let you get back to that, what what would you say is the most that I have her biscuits? Yeah, her uh, biscuits and her fish pie. Oh, whatever. I did. I had a fish pie, and I know that's so stereotypical. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I can't believe you had a fish pie in London. I was hoping you're going to say some bangers and mash. <laughs> but what would you say is the most recent example of you trying to? either defy what you think are other people's expectations of you or find yourself rebelling against some stereotype of who you are? Um, I think maybe moving to London. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think I, I was kind of the... Here, so here's... I had this image of myself as the laid-off sports writer in my house in New York as my children went off to school and my husband went off to his job. And I thought to myself, I am not spending a year like that. And, and that was why I wanted, I, that's why, you know, I was like, look, what are we going to do? <laughs> I mean, and, and, and I dragged my whole family along on this caper in some ways. Although I think obviously they, um, they also, kind of wanted an adventure and it came at a good time and there were lots of good reasons to do it. Um, but that was, I did not want to be 
a depressed, laid off sports writer who couldn't work. And maybe that was the impetus in some ways, getting away from what I know is a reality for so many hundreds of people who've been in our business and have had the same thing happen to them. I mean, it's there are th literally thousands of sports writers who've been laid off in the last 10 years. Um, and I just didn't, I, I didn't want to take part in that. I was like, I'll explore some other part of myself. I'll, you know, travel, I'll write if I want to, but I'm not, I'm not going to be that person. Thanks for the time, Jane. We're going to see you in on October 4th, right? Hopefully on some roller skates. Oh, you got you knocking people out, derby girl. You guys are two yeah. of my absolute favorite people. And I just, I'm so happy for you. And that's a wrap. This is Free Cookies, produced by Lindsay Collins of FMB Radio. I love what your voice does at the end. It does something. Um, you kind of get this little, this little like upward tick at the end of your voice when we're signing off. You're like, that'll do it. And we are produced by no one, which is exactly why we would love for you to visit us at patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Like Please, that? you. You should definitely follow us on Instagram, Free Cookies Podcast, where there's a picture of Catherine when she's in fifth or sixth grade. And there might be a picture of me in my ombros. And I have a t-shirt on too. Chasing. The sneakers. And one of those, the sneakers and the socks. You remember the socks you do? Do you realize no one's listening to this part? They should be because this is where the gold happens. Oh, fuck. I don't have the thank yous. Oh, keep going, though. I can just filibuster for a little while. No, because no one listens to this part. Yes, this is why we can keep going. I was thinking more about Team Jurassic Park and how, number one, if I were tasked with being the getaway driver, on one hand, I think that would be an asset for me. But on the other hand, I feel that... Most of the time in Jurassic Park, the getaway stuff is so unstructured and I'm better when I know where the lights are and there's a lot of understanding of gaps and rules. So I actually don't know if I were arguing and if this were a debate, whether or not, do you, do you have them yet? Do you have those? Do you have them? Are we seriously not redoing this? No. Do you have them though? Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to the people. Shout out to the people who will never hear their names. Yes, they will. Troy and Billy, what? and Jill Manos, Manos, and Sprocket Loves Ruby. Sprocket Loves Ruby. This is the worst thing. No, it's not. No, it's amazing. We, Thanks for listening, everybody. We love you.